Alrighty, hello again everyone and welcome to it. It is the Derek Hunter Podcast for this 11th day of September 2023. Happy Monday to you. I know, Mondays suck, but I mean, what are you going to do? Mondays have to happen. It's the only way to get to Friday. If you've got a better way to do it, I'm all ears. I'm Derek Hunter. I am your host. Welcome to the program. We'll be giving away autographed book at the end of the show. Either Mike Lee or Gene Hackman, and then we'll be announcing the new contestant on The Price is Wrong there at patreon.com slash Derek Hunter Podcast or Derek Hunter.locals.com. I'm going to do an anniversary remembrance, it's a slow news day, of the 9 11 terror attack since this, there's so many people now who could be listening to this podcast who have no memory whatsoever of that. So I will do that. And then I'll throw in the week in effort review because for some reason, and if you don't like swearing, stop. I'll don't uh, stop before you get to that. But for some reason, this week's got me a lot of notes saying this one was great. This one was, I honestly don't remember what I did or said. I remember that it was called a, a nation of nicknames for a cat. And uh, I'll leave it at that because uh, speaking of people who are too young to hear the week in F and review and people who are not were not alive to remember September 11th, 2001. Special guests in studio, Quinn and Bailey are here. Hello, Quinn. Hello, everybody. Hello, Hello. Bailey. Hello. You guys get all shy and you act like somebody's going to, you act like a beat dog. But we, we literally just got home. It's 7 o'clock. We just got home. Where were we? Rehoboth Beach. That's right. Why did we go there? For Funland. That's right, Funland. Funland Rehoboth, I think, is the website, .com. Uh, it is a kid's amusement park, sort of. That would be the best way to describe it. Did you have a lot of fun there, Quinn? Yeah, I really wanted to go on the climbing thing that was there. It's called the Jungle. I really like to go there, but it was closed because it rained two times. Yeah, it rained. It thunderstormed a lot on the ocean. Yeah, it rained yesterday night and today yeah but you got a little bit of time on there on friday you got to do it some yeah bailey what was your favorite part uh my favorite part was going on the cars Oh, racing. You did the bumper cars for the first time. You were finally tall enough to be a passenger on the bumper cars. What did you think of that? I know. Well, did you have fun on it? Yeah. You sure looked like you were having fun. And your father, me, was the champion at Willie Crash. And how many tickets did we win? Lots. How many? 500. Oh, we won more than 500. We won pretty much, I mean, it's all the garbage that they give away at those things for your tickets when you trade them in, but there was literally nothing we couldn't get. At, uh, like somewhere in the neighborhood of eight or 9,000 tickets. There's a game called Willie Crash. That might not seem like a lot. In some places it's not. But li- the most expensive thing or most ticketed thing was like 2,000 tickets. Um Willie Crash, where you launch a guy out of a cannon and you got to get him to land on certain building tops. 
I was the king. Was I not awesome at that, Bailey? You were awesome. That's right. Quinn, you saw it. Yeah. And it, you can also get it um, on Apple. On Yeah. Well, you can play for it. You don't win any tickets, but you can practice and have fun with it on the iPad. But uh, on at the-, the game itself, it was spitting out tickets. I won a ton of 4,000 tickets the first day. That's very cool. Yes, it was. We were the envy of everybody, and now we have a whole bunch of cheap plastic toys that you're never going to play with again, right? What are you talking about? Oh, come on. Be honest. What are you going to play with? I would play with the movie theater thing. All right. I'll play with it. Bailey got a giant squishy cupcake. And And it's scented. It smells like a cupcake. And it's bigger than your head. And I can imagine by the end of the week, you're going to start picking off pieces of it. And I'm going to throw it away because I'm going to be sick of finding pieces of it. And I don't want the cats to chew on it. Or they would die. That's right. We don't want that. But we had a lot of fun, didn't we? We played in the ocean. We went in the swimming pool at the hotel. We did everything, right? Friday and Saturday was awesome. Yeah. Yeah, what? Well, what about today? Was it awesome? Well, today was awesome, too, but we had to come home today. We had to check out of the hotel at 11, by 11 o'clock, so we didn't get a chance to go to the pool. I know. All right. Well, you had fun, right? Yeah, I slept. Yes, you slept a lot. And, Bailey, you had fun? Yeah, but I just waked up first. And uh, then you woke everybody else up. Yeah. No. I just, I just where mommy was. All right. Well, and Quinny farted a lot while she was waking up. <laughs> I know I was farting. All right. There you go, girls. Go back to playing. Okay. All right. Say bye to everybody. Bye, everybody that listened to Daddy Phil. <laughs> All right. There you go. That's what we did. We went over. Uh, we try to do Rehoboth three times a year or more. The last weekend is the one we try to do because it's a lot less crowded. It was a lot less crowded today. Today is the last day for the season for Funland, so that's why we go. Because in a couple years, they're going to be too big for Funland, and a couple years after that, they're going to be too bitter for Funland. They're going to be teenagers. So we're going to get in all the Funland we possibly Plus, it's it's really cheap. If you're anywhere in the area, like a day, like a, a eight-hour drive, from Rehoboth Beach. Yeah, you got to deal with Joe every once in a while, but it is so worth it to take your kids there or grandkids. Lots of grandparents and grandkids. All right. So it is the anniversary of September 11th, 2001. And it is kind of weird to me that we're living in a world where there are people are voting now and have been voting for a while. It's 22 years ago who have no recollection of what was the... I guess this would be like what it was like for my parents, maybe your parents, or maybe your grandparents, when it comes to JFK, right? The JFK assassination was one of those moments where everybody remembers where they were when they heard the news. They remember how they found out, and they remember you know how it impacted them and how everybody kind of walked around in a haze. That was one person, horrible as it was, but... I guess maybe for my generation before that, it was the Challenger disaster. I vaguely, I remember the, I sort of, I thought I remember the Challenger disaster, but then I, 
I think it was impossible in the timeline that I thought of, as I could have sworn that I was homesick from school, watching The Price is Right, and The Price is Right got interrupted because there was an explosion on The Challenger, they said. But I think I've seen since then that The Challenger disaster happened in the afternoon. So I know I was homesick from school because I did not find out about it at school. That much I know for certain. But what I was, my price is right watching, I, I don't remember that. But September 11th, of course, dwarfed that. Not to equate tragedies, but it did dwarf that. It was one of those situations where you're like, can this really be happening? I don't know where you were, but I guarantee if you were alive, if you were conscious, actually, hell, if you were unconscious, if you'd gotten absolutely hammered on Monday the 10th, and slept through the 11th and didn't wake up till the 15th, you would still remember where you were on the 15th the moment you heard that news. Because it was one of those things where you're like, is this really real? Is this happening? I had just started at the Heritage Foundation. I graduated college December of of 2000. And I probably could have graduated, I could have graduated earlier, but I didn't go right out of high school for very long. And I had to make it, like, I, if I had, I had to finish a stupid German language requirement. And with dyslexia, that made it difficult. A general sense of not really wanting to learn to speak German made it even more difficult. And so I'd taken this, you need, at my school, I'm, I don't know if it changed. Most places you need like a year to a year and a half of a foreign language for some weird reason. I needed, uh, my school required two years. So that sucked. So instead of 101 and 102, I took 106 because my girlfriend at the time spoke German fluently, had lived in German Germany as a kid. And so I was like, okay, well, she can help me. And she did help me. And to frankly, 106, which was those two classes combined, it's a six-credit class, it wasn't all that hard, the basics of German. Once you get past that crap, it gets tougher. I took 201 and I scraped through with C's. Then I had 202, and I had two attempts at 202, and just I dropped it. They're like, "You're not, you can't grad. You're not gonna, you're not gonna not graduate. You're not gonna pass this class. You're not gonna pass this class." Like, oh crap! So I set it up so my final semester in college, which I probably could have graduated a semester earlier if I'd have been able to handle German, was the only class I had was a stupid German 202, and I made it clear to the teacher that all I wanted was to pass i didn't care i wanted a d minus you could pass as long as i passed i didn't care that was my only requirement was my only class and so i squeaked by and that's why i graduated in december of 2000 and then i spent the spring of 2001 and the winter of 2001 i guess looking for work and trying to figure out what the hell you do with a political science degree from a crappy university most people have never heard of etc 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 and so i came out to baltimore a couple of times and did some temp work my best friend was living in baltimore he was getting ready to go back to detroit to go to medical school he was working on the mouse genome project at the national institutes of health or some no johns hopkins somewhere anyway he was working there and he was going back to medical school in the summer of going back to get ready to go to medical school in the fall. He's going back in in June. And so there was like a month over... Well, no, there wasn't. I had a chance. 
to come out a couple of times and do some temp work in D.C. while with a free place to stay because D.C. is wildly expensive. And so I did that, and I ended up getting a jo- two job offers. One at a lobbying firm that was for hire, and I couldn't do that. It was entry-level answering phones and crap like that, so it wasn't like I was bigwig. But it was $1,000 more than the Heritage Foundation offered me to be the bookstore coordinator. Publishing Services Coordinator, I think, was my first title. All that meant was I sat in the makeshift bookstore on the fourth floor. It's like the fourth floor of an office building that you can't get past. You can't get in there. Nobody, there's no foot traffic at all. All you're really doing is answering the phone from heritage donors, sending them out. paper. They, they would mail them lists of the papers every month, of the papers that were the backgrounders and the executive memos that were printed that month. They'd have them in numeric order with the title and even though every one of them was available for free online for every human being on the face of the earth the donors of the heritage foundation were the internet was relatively new and slow and the donor's age of the donor of the heritage foundation at the time was a little bit older than i would say early adopter of new technology to put it politely and so they uh, would call up and ask me to send them, to mail them, whatever papers they wanted, five, ten, some people wanted them all, and I would take their address down, and I would manually gather all the papers and (laughs) fill them in an envelope and mail them out, and books if they wanted books, if they were members, if they donated to the Heritage Foundation, they got the books for free, some people would call up and order books, and I'd have to run credit cards, which was really confusing, it was just a, a weird thing. But it was an entry-level job. I told the people who interviewed me that all I wanted was a foot in the door and I'd wrestle the rest of my body through on my own. And I did. I didn't look like a typical conservative. I had long hair. I was clearly uncomfortable in a suit, never having worn one a day in my life before that job, and uh, except for job interviews. And uh, anytime anything came up that got me out of the office that I was confined to, it was a good thing. So two friends of mine, one named Harris and one named Mark, were going to an ebook convention or conference in Baltimore on September 11th, 2001. Well, I lived in Baltimore. I wanted to go to the book. I didn't care. I still I don't remember anything about it. I didn't care about it at the time. All I knew was that if I, if my boss, Tom, gave me permission to go to this ebook conference with Harris and Mark, that would mean I got to sleep in that day and I didn't have to go to DC. It was like a day off. Because, I mean, I was answering, I was, with a, I was a, would you like fries with that job? I was not crucial to anything. So the ebook revolution or whatever it was it was never going to impact me i was not going to stay in publishing services forever i was it just wasn't going to impact me but it was a good chance for me to sort of get a pseudo day off with my two friends now they actually wanted to go to the conference and they did and they paid attention at it but tom took mercy on me and said you can go too so i did it was awesome i got up i think i got an extra hour of sleep i probably went out drinking the night before in preparation for that I took a cab downtown Baltimore because as I lived north of downtown, just south of the train station, but still it was a ways uh, to the hotels in the Inner Harbor. And I took a cab 
get down there. I, f- I know I can tell you where it, what it looks like, but I can't tell you the name of the hotel. Get there, meet up with Mark, meet up with Harris. Ooh, man, I was new to conferences. I was new to everything. I just started on uh, the Tuesday after Labor Day, or maybe, no, it was the Monday before Labor Day that I'd started at, at Heritage. So I hadn't been there all that long. Um, so conferences where they fed you were freaking awesome, especially since I was making $26,000 a year, which is nothing and living in this area especially so i uh i chowed down had a blast i probably stuck a cup i brought i always carried this leather satchel my friend george gave me for graduating college i think nobody ever thought i would uh, he gave me a leather leather bag this shoulder straps sort of a briefcase but i got quite good at stuffing food in it without a lot of people noticing. You can't do it without anybody noticing. But without a lot of people noticing, stuffing food in at events because, you know, another if you get a meal for free and then you can add a second meal for free on that, that was gold. That was I was broke. I mean, I was literally broke. So we're down there, and the conference starts at... has started at 8. I think it started at 8. Whatever it was, it was too damn early, and I really honestly couldn't give a damn about whatever the hell it was I just like lottie dottie blah 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 I was kind of falling asleep so I uh, am sitting there and I hear somebody come up to the guy who didn't didn't start wasn't on for that long and I hear somebody come up to the guy speaking saying something about terror attack terrorist attack and the guy's like all right whatever and he goes back to talking about ebooks I I don't care about ebooks but I heard terrorist attack my antenna went up and i'm like what the hell is that okay i looked over at mark and harris said i gotta i'm gonna go have a cigarette i'm gonna go find out what the hell's going on i go out into the lobby and i see at this point by the time i got out there both towers were had been hit both towers had been hit and i'm just staring at this i don't know 27 or 32 inch tube television in awe it was showing like the today show or something like that I'm just staring at it in awe, going, my God, what the hell is happening? And probably five minutes of me staring there, my mouth agape, the conference sort of took an impromptu break because somebody must have come in and it had rippled through or somebody got a message. I don't know. I don't know if Blackberries had been invented yet or whatever, but somebody got a message and it started to spread in there and they come out of the conference center and they're all sort of gathered around the TV and it's like, oh my God. God, what the hell is going on? And uh, Harris worked. Harris is, I think, if, I don't know if he was married. If he was married or his fiance, whatever. She worked at the State Department. Now, this in the in the moment of the attack, in the, the time of the attack, there were all sorts of reports. There was a report about there was a bomb that went off at the uh, Washington Monument. There was a bomb that went off at Foggy Bottom, which is where the State Department is, car bomb. There's all sorts of just rumors and stories. If anybody was wanted to be a jerk, they'd call up a newsroom and tell them something wild was going on. And there's an attack here, a bomb here. And then they would just report it because they were scrambling. They didn't know what the hell was going on. So I, I, just, I do remember like Harris, I remember them saying, you know, bomb at the uh, State Department at Foggy Bottom, blah, blah, blah. And Harris didn't, he, I don't know where she actually worked. He didn't really seem to be all that concerned. And then after about five minutes, they go, all right, we're going to we're gonna head back in there. 
we're going to go back to the, the conference, and the towers are still burning. And I remember thinking that one of them looked like it was leaning. And if you look at them when they're both on, it, it, the, the first one that fell, I think it was Tower 2, it, it looked like it was leaning, at least to me, in the video. And I said that. God, it looks like it's leaning. And so they all go, well, all right, we're going back to the conference. Well, I didn't give a damn about this conference in the first place. So I said, I'm not going back in. I didn't, I didn't, I, I'm going to go home. I, I need to know what's going on. I didn't have cable at the time. So I just had the broadcast networks. But the Fox channel, I think, was showing the Fox News channel. And you could flip between the uh, the cable channel, the uh, network channels, on my 27-inch tube TV. And I had dial-up internet. And I was just, I remember my parents were pissed because... If you dialed star six nine, no, star six seven or whatever, you canceled call waiting. Because if you back in the days of dial-up internet, if you were online and somebody was calling you and you didn't cancel the call waiting, they'd knock you offline. Well, my family was trying to call me, like I was, you know, involved in the terror attack, uh, to check on me, and it didn't even occur to me till later to get offline. And then finally, they called and I was like, "Oh yeah, no, geez, I've just been enraptured by this." But then the, you know, the attack on the Pentagon, the crash in Pennsylvania. I remember sitting there. I don't know why. I don't know what I was thinking I was going to do. It was stupid, machismo, one of those things where you're just like, oh, this is, it's easy to say this or think this because you know you can't do anything. But I had this overwhelming urge, desire to go to Washington, D.C. I don't know, to be there, to do get to the Pentagon, I don't know, pick through the wreckage or fight somebody or something. Like I could stop the next, I'll catch the next plane or I'll put it on. And it was weird. It was just this weird sort of impotence. You're sitting there watching this unfold. It's not all that far away. It's like a 45-minute, 50-minute train ride away. And I should have been in D.C. You could see apparently the Pentagon burning from the Heritage Foundation. I was just pissed off and I wanted to do something, but I couldn't because they'd shut down all the rail. And so that meant that my friends, they probably about a half an hour after I left, they canceled the rest of the conference, which they should have never gone back to. And uh, so my friends came over to my house or to my apartment because they couldn't get home because they'd taken the train from Washington, D.C. to Baltimore. And I remember watching the news. I, I was just watching the news and online looking up things. And they they pissed me off so bad. After a couple hours, I, I couldn't get enough. I wanted to know everything. I wanted to see everything. I wanted to hear everything. I wanted to, if somebody said something, I wanted to know. And they were like bored. They wanted to, I had a whole bunch of VHS tape, a bunch of movies. And they wanted to watch Clerks. So we watched Clerks. And I was just, I remember... I didn't watch Clerks. I was online looking up news very slowly of what the hell was going on. But um, they watched Clerks. And then eventually around, I think it was like 4 or 5 o'clock, they let the train start running again so people get home to and fro. And they left. And I probably didn't go to sleep that night. If I did, it was on the futon. And... Uh, I was just, I watched news nonstop. Heritage, everybody had the next day off. I think we had 
the Thursday off too. I know he had the Wednesday off. It was optional, whatever. Went back in on Friday. Um, went to the Catholic Church right next to the Supreme Court. I remember that. At lunch was a National Day of Prayer, and it was it was packed. I'd never seen it that packed before. Saint Joseph, Saint Saint Joe's, Saint Joseph's, I think it is. Just absolutely packed, and I remember. It's one of those things where you just kind of like it hit. It hit me then. It really kind of hit me in church during the memorial service. Just bizarre. I hadn't really been that upset, or emotional, not upset, but emotional until church, and everybody's sort of crying, and a lot of people in the room knew people on the planes that had gone down, and um, Supreme Court was there. It was, it was just. It was weird that I even thought to that I was able to get in it was bizarre because it's not that big of a church but I got in I sat in a pew um near Ed Meese if I remember correctly but uh, it was just one of those things where you're just like is this surreal is this really happening I remember George Bush's speech from the Oval Office that night wasn't very impressive of a speech it was a short Oval Office address but I do remember that his joint session of Congress speech a few days later, where the you're either with us or you're with the uh, the uh, or you're with the terrorists. I thought that speech was awesome. I don't think he lived up to it, but in the moment, that was what we needed. In the moment, that's what we absolutely wanted. There was a time, believe it or not, ladies and gentlemen, where members of Congress, Democrats and Republicans, stood together on the Capitol steps, defiantly saying, "God bless America." Now. Half the Democrats would, you know, scream, there is no God or uh, climate change, bless America, or something like flying spaghetti monster, bless America. But there was a time when everybody came together and that sense of we're going to get these sons of bitches who did this, no matter what the cost, no matter how long it takes, that sense was prevalent and it was we were all Americans for about a week and then Democrats started crapping and I actually lost a friend a woman named Gloria that week I think it was like a day or two later we were on AOL instant messenger and she's we're chatting back and forth and then we ended up getting on the phone she lived a few blocks away she was one of the few people I knew in Baltimore uh, which is you know that's where I lived I didn't have all that many friends and um she gave me, she was a big lib, she was a nursing student. She's a big lib who gave me the, uh, what did we, do? we deserve, you know, what do you expect? What did we do to deserve this? We need to stop doing things. We, it was all this left-wing crap of we had it coming and what did you expect? And I was like, I, I told her where she could, you know, what she should go and do to herself alone. <laughs> and, uh, she should do it, you know, whatever. She hung up on me and I never, I think I probably, I don't think I ever called her again, ever at all, and which sucked because she was fun. She lived like three blocks away, but uh, yeah, never spoke to her again. I remember her name, her last name, but uh, I'm not going to give that because who knows, who knows her. But yeah, it was just one of those weird things where it just, you sat there and eventually like I remember now I think I went back to work on Thursday 
my friend Doug and I, we went walking around the Capitol. No, that was next the next week. It's the weirdest thing because you know, planes were grounded, obviously, for most of that week around the country. But planes were grounded in the Washington, D.C. area for a lot longer. Like Reagan was shut down. You go to Washington, D.C., and Reagan's literally just across the river uh, in Virginia. You see planes flying constantly over the Potomac in their approach. That's just the way it is. But that was shut down, and there were no planes in the sky except for two F-18s or whatever they were circling the city semi-constantly. I mean, I don't know how long it takes to circle the city or whatever, but they were an air patrol around the city flying in tandem constantly otherwise there were no planes whatsoever for it seems like weeks my friend doug and i used to uh, go walking around the capitol because we were in awe of the capitol and i'm still in awe of the capitol and if you ever sort of lose that awe of like oh my god there's the united states capitol or there's the white house if you ever lose that that's the time to get the hell away from washington dc because you've become too jaded we would walk around and it was so abandoned in the week or two after September 11th. Never, you can't get that kind of isolation, that kind of solitude, those kind of pictures of the United States Capitol like you did in the aftermath. It was, it was post-apocalyptic almost because there was nobody. The members and the staff that were coming from the Capitol to the House and Senate office buildings were all using the tunnel. Very few people went out and walked on the lawn. You could. Most people stayed away from Washington, D.C. Commercial flights to the area were severely curtailed because obviously the uh, one of the two major airports were shut down. It was just very, very surreal. And then eventually things started to come back to normal and you had to re-get used to seeing planes in the sky it was it was something to remember it's something i'll never forget it's just one of those things where you sit there and you watch this unfold and you go this i hope to god this never happens again i hope to god this never happens again i don't know where you were but i promise you you remember where you were i absolutely promise you that you know you remember where you were <clears throat> so there's that there's my september 11th memories all right that is enough it's a half an hour of a story of me rambling and me talking to my kids with a cat screaming in the background so yeah, not exactly the most enthralling show ever but hey it's just one of those things that's the anniversary of september 11th you've got to remember it you should mark it in some way some way and the more now my story is on tape probably out there somewhere too in the previous version of this anniversary but i think we need to record our memories of these things because while the kids who don't remember it who weren't alive for it or too young to remember it they won't have the same memories i'll never know what it was like to fight the nazis storm the beaches at normandy fight at iwo jima or anything like that but thanks and or survive the holocaust or anything but thanks to people giving their stories my story doesn't amount to hill of beans but it's a thread in the tapestry now we have the ability to document so much more of life uh, 
And who knows, some leftist is probably going to make retelling this story illegal because, oh, well, you're probably going to start a hate crime or some crap like that. So I'm not, not interested in what they have to say. I am interested in telling them to go to hell and speaking the truth. All right, the truth now is to give away a book, and then I'm going to play the Week in F and Review. So you don't have to uh, suffer through that to hear if you won or not, if you are offended by foul language don't watch this, and if you are not named Thomas Brown with an E at the end of it, you don't have to worry because you didn't win this week. He wanted Mike Lee. He's got Mike Lee. Congratulations, Thomas Brown. Check your messages. You should have one from me somewhere in there, and send me your address, and I'll get it sent out to you. That means that Gene Hackman and Daniel Lenehan, I don't know who that is, are back with the wake of the Perdito star. Wake of the Perdido Star, yeah, signed by Gene Hackman. And he's going up against former Senate Majority Leader back when Republicans could get stuff done, Trent Lott, and his uh, hilariously titled Hurting Cats. That's how he described being the Senate Majority Leader is like hurting cats. So that's your options this week. Gene Hackman versus Trent Lott. Check it out, patreon.com slash Podcast or derekhunter.locals.com. Here endeth the new show, and just out of appreciation, and because so many people complimented me on this week's program, the Week in F and Review, I now present to you, and stop listening if you're offended by foul language, uh, the Week in F and Review. Have a great Monday. <laughs> Well, it's the week in fucking review. And the week is fucking over. And, you know, it's another week with another Joe Biden fucking vacation. Good God. What a piece of shit the president of the United States is. I am Derek Hunter. Welcome to the week in fucking review, ladies and gentlemen. Monday is the anniversary of 9-11 to market. Joe Biden will be in Alaska. Why? Because he's an asshole. <laughs> He'll be out there because he needs to market somewhere. He's going to Europe or he's going to Asia. He's traveling all over the fucking place. Who knows? Maybe he'll come down with COVID by the time this gets out there and he'll have to turn around or not go in the first place and end up having to run back to Delaware to spend the week at the beach again where he left Jill because she's got COVID. Some shit. Just unfucking believable But the president is at least scheduled to, and I'm sure, like he breathed covid infected air all over the medal of honor winner the other day i don't think he gives a shit about world leaders none of them respect him anyway they don't want him close enough to breathe on him so maybe they'll say he can come nobody wants to talk to him anyway the only person who sucks up to him anymore is justin trudeau still that's because canada is shit god just a, a whole shit show, this administration. That's not what I want to start off with. I'll get to the immigration stuff in a second. But I saw this story in Rolling Stone, and I'm like, you've got to be fucking kidding me. We really are becoming a nation of pussies. Maybe that's what I'll call this episode, a nation of pussies. Not that Look, there are bad things, and bullying is horrible, and all the caveats out there, don't push people down the flights of stairs, blah, 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 don't get violent, whatever, yes. All that shit. But honest to fucking God, 
This story in Rolling Stone makes me think that we really do need the sweet meteor of death to come down and dinosaur us, motherfuckers. The headline, it's called, an ex- they've got a big exclusive. This is exclusive. Yeah, because nobody else is desperate enough to need this kind of shit. Exclusive. Chaos, comedy, and crying rooms, colon, inside Jimmy Fallon's Tonight Show. Like, what the fuck? The subheadline, 16 current and former staffers say Fallon's erratic behavior spoiled their dream of working on The Tonight Show. Well, welcome to the fucking party, pal. <laughs> but everybody wants, I want my dream to be nice. I want it to be filled with foot rubs and oral sex. I want it to be just nonstop blowjob. I want, my dream job is to be a judge in a, the national circuit in the blowjob contest. Right? I want to be the judge of that. The only way to judge it, of course, is to be blown. You know, I want it to pay seven figures, and I want to travel on private jets. So I got to be in Albuquerque on Tuesday. We're having that blowjob contest. All right, well, we're down, down there. They got a good crop of contestants this year. Well, I'll, I'll be tough but fair. I'll be tough but fair. But life isn't your dream fucking job. Sometimes it's just a goddamn job. Right? As the replacement said, I need a goddamn job right now. Instead, this story is about people to whom people in power at The Tonight Show, Jimmy Fallon allegedly included, had snapped at them because they'd screwed up or somebody had screwed up or perhaps it was misdirected rage. Look, if I if I stub my toe, there's a decent chance that I'll curse at the next cat that I see. Or if I, you know, I'm doing burn my finger and my kid is sitting there going, I want to show you this video. I'm like, no, I will tell them I do not care to see their fucking video uh, with, you know, perhaps in a tone that I probably shouldn't have because of that. And I always let them see the video. I seek out the cat, and scratch its head, what have you. It happens in fucking life. Now, being the host of The Tonight Show, being the executive producer of The Tonight Show, being whatever at The Fucking Tonight Show is a busy job. You got to put on an hour of TV every day and it's got to at least kind of be funny. It's got to also be in line with all the censors of the Democratic Party that work at NBC. So you've got to worry about constantly being fired because you didn't make sufficient fun of Republicans or you made a Joe Biden is old joke and Rachel Maddow is displeased. Rachel Maddow, while eating peeled grapes, sent a text message to the president of NBC noting her displeasure with the look on Jimmy Fallon's face as he made a maybe Joe Biden is 80 years old joke. Yeah, that's what you have to live in fear of over at NBC, all their fucking properties. Well, this story is really just a whole bunch of people anonymously wanting like a group of pussies. Because why? Because we have elevated victimhood on the left to a status that you fucking aspire to. You know, it used to be, I want to be a movie star. I want to be this. I want to be a champion. I want to be a whatever. I want to win Olympic gold, whatever the fuck it is that people aspire to really lofty goals, really a champion of industry. Now it's, I want to be somebody with at least three boxes to check in the liberal hierarchy of victimhood and find a way to use my wonder twit powers to activate all of them at once. Jimmy Fallon once stepped on my dress and as a trans woman of color who isn't really of color, uh, who's 
gay and cisgendered whose pronouns are they self and cat self. I was wildly offended when he didn't immediately turn around and empty his wallet onto my head and say, I apologize unreservedly. You can have my next three paychecks. That's where we are in fucking society. This is what these people crave is the attention of victimhood. You really want to make a lot of money right now. Sell a machine that nails a person to their own cross. Because that's what the modern Democratic Party is. They're all fucking victims. And, you, you know, a cross extension to raise it up. Jesus died for our sins. And every one of these motherfuckers is living to sin and to be a victim and to nail themselves to a cross higher than Jesus and go, look at this. Look at this. It's look at how I've been wronged. No, you're fucking pussy. You screwed up. You fucked up and you got a good talking to by your boss or your boss had a shitty day and he snapped at you. Get the fuck over it. It's called having a little bit of a ball sack. You probably had yours removed or it's so far tucked up your ass crack that it's in the back of your throat. But really just man the fuck up. You can't say man the fuck up. Yeah, don't tell me you're offended and it's misogynist to tell you to man the fuck up if you don't know what a woman is. All right. Can't be misogynist to some asswipe who doesn't know what the fuck a woman is because you'd just be sitting around going, well, it seems to be having a problem with something that I'm not really sure what the fuck it is. Oh, well, move it on. It really is an amazing piece here in Rolling Stone. It details events like him allegedly snapping at somebody with a cue card. Yeah, that's right. And, Jim, and uh, Jerry Seinfeld telling him to apologize something that jerry seinfeld himself gave a comment and jerry seinfeld doesn't fucking comment anything gave a comment to here it is two employees remember witnessing fallon scold the crew member who was in charge of his cue cards in the middle of a taping with comedian jerry seinfeld they said it was an uncomfortable moment yeah because they're soft-skulled liberal pussies Seinfeld told Fallon to apologize to the cue card production member, which he then allegedly did. Then employees say this incident, which felt awkward to watch. See, they're not even offended directly. They're offended by proxy. They're they're offended. They're the fucking, they get the splatter. They get the splatter of the offense. But they're trying to milk it for all it's worth. It was awkward to watch, and that's why I was fine. You imagine, we talked to 16 people, two of them, said something was awkward to watch, something they were not involved in, and that's their fucking bitch about working on The Tonight Show. Quit your job. There you go. Problem fucking solved. Said it was awkward to watch and did not make it to the version of the show that appeared on television. Oh, you mean a fuck-up was cut? Of course it was. That's why television tapes, you dumbass. Quote, it was very awkward, and Jerry Seinfeld was like, you should apologize to him, almost trying to make it a joke, a former employee said. It was one of the strangest moments ever, and so many people were there, so it's kind of hard to forget, said one sissy pussy fucking moron. Representatives for Seinfeld did not respond to multiple requests for comment following the publication of this story. However, Seinfeld sent a statement to Rolling Stone, quote, This is so stupid. I remember this moment quite well. I teased Jimmy about a flub, and we all had a fun laugh about it, how rarely Jimmy is thrown off. It was not uncomfortable at all. Jimmy and I still occasionally recall it and laugh. Idiotic twisting of events, end quote. The whole fucking gist of the goddamn story in Rolling Stone was Jimmy Fallon was mean to people, and they forgot we got somebody to comment on it. And the biggest name in comedy said, shut the fuck up, you little crybaby bitches. 
That should have caused the end of the story. It should have been like, all right, maybe we should pull this fucking story. Instead, there's a whole bunch of innuendo in here that Jimmy Fallon is a fucking drunk or was a fucking drunk and had problems being drunk. Okay, well, if he was and he's got it under control now and he quit drinking, who gives a fuck? Why are you bringing it up? You know, you get scolded by the asswipes over at MSNBC if you mention the fact that, you know, Hunter Biden's a fucking junkie. There's still people around Hunter Biden. His fucking lawyer was caught smoking a J on a fucking balcony while Hunter was in his fucking house. And like, well, you can't, don't mention it. He's, look, he's in recovery. Mentioning this is just bad. Really? People who are really in recovery, the people I've known who have kicked the shit and are spending their lives making sure they keep kicking the shit, they are the ones who tell you they're in recovery. They're the ones who tell you they were a fucking junkie. They'll tell you nonstop. They won't shut up about all the shit they did when they were a junkie. So spare me. If talking about the fact that Hunter used to bang hookers and do a lot of coke might lead Hunter back down the path of doing cocaine and banging hookers, he probably shouldn't have spent hours upon hours filming himself banging hookers and doing coke. Right, because that shit is backed up to his iCloud, and more than likely still on his devices to this fucking day. And uh, you know, he could just go right back down that rabbit hole. I bet you it's what he banked, spanks himself to. To be honest with you, but it's just unfucking believable that Rolling Stone decided this is a fucking story. This is a fucking story, Jimmy Fallon. Why? You can trace Jimmy Fallon's problems with the fucking press. Right back to what? To when he had Donald Trump on in 2016 and he made fun. He had fun with him. He didn't make fun of Donald Trump. He had fun with him. Remember, Trump let him touch his hair. He asked if he could touch Trump's hair. And the left did what? They went absolutely ape shit. They went absolutely ape shit. And Jimmy Fallon then had to change and become just like everybody else in late night. Because why? Because he wanted to keep his fucking multi-million dollar paying fucking job. Who wouldn't want to? That's what he fucking did. He changed the way he did. He was just, he was the one guy who wasn't doing left-wing bullshit. And the left-winger said, you're not doing left-wing bullshit. That's the real bullshit. And so he changed. And they're still attacking him because you will never be able to apologize your way out of these left-wing assholes' bullshit. Their hatred. You, you can maybe cut a big enough fucking check. Maybe. But it's got to be to the right fucking groups and the right fucking... You've got to buy off the right fucking people because these are people who revel, revel in victimhood. This story from the New York Post, we are so fucked, we are such a nation of pussies. Trauma is trendy thanks to Gen Z. They're done ignoring mental health. Huh? The fuck? The story, the latest online trend is trauma. It's all thanks to a more self-aware generation. No, it's, shut the, it's, it's not self-aware. It's a generation that nobody told them to shut the fuck up. Grow the fuck up. Man up. Grow a pair. Gen Z's attempts to destigmatize mental health issues and willingness to open up online has spurred a wave of trauma oversharing on, uh, trauma oversharing on social media platforms. Meg Schnetzer, Jesus, a trauma-informed <laughs> a, a trauma-informed somatic practitioner. I don't know what the fuck that means 
has seen an uptick in young people talking about their past traumas online, going so far as to dub it a trend. Quote, there seems to be a lot of awareness so that people are feeling safe enough to open up and share their experiences. Schnetzer, 32, sold South, told Southwest News Service, when people are able to work up the courage to share it, it ignites a whole movement. Fuck off. My God. Now, what is a trauma? Ma, parents didn't love me enough. Well, you're kind of a piece of shit, so, you know, maybe you didn't deserve love. In contrast, millennials have been taught to invalidate their experiences, which feels easier than addressing the emotions, the Delaware resident explained. Bullshit. Nobody's told, hey, shut the fuck up, buttercup. Quit whining. You should be. You'd be toughened up a little bit. But the idea that millennials are like told to be hard. If millennials are hard, then you can swim in rocks. Fucking bullshit. Quote, we come from a generation who were invalidated a lot, had emotions minimized, and were told to pull yourself up by your bootstraps rather than letting your feelings out, she said. Yeah, you're told to quit fucking whining. That's what you were told. Because that's all you fucking did. And you know what? You didn't stop whining. You're an, a social media professional whining baby. Gen Z, however, is done ignoring it. Now Gen Z are owning their trauma responses and making a conscious stand, said Schnitzer, who boasts more than 23,000 followers on TikTok. Wow. 23,000? Wow, that's... I remember when I had 23,000 followers on social media. That was a long fucking time ago. And I didn't sit around and pat myself on the back over it. And I also didn't sign up for TikTok and give all of my personal information to the communist Chinese, you dumb shit. I also didn't need external validation. God, these people are so fucking pathetic. But this is where the Democratic Party is leading. What's really fucking funny is this uh, this chick. They got one, two, three, four pictures of her ass. Her, her fucking... And they're selfies. They're, they're, they're TikTok selfies. And it's like, what the fuck? All this chick does is sit around and talk to 23,000 people that really aren't there about trauma. You validate people's trauma. You're the victim. You're a fucking victim. And like, oh yeah, you know what? I am a fucking victim. My, I was spanked once when I was five years old. And that really informed every decision I've made ever since then. Okay, well, you're a fucking idiot and your whole life is going to be ruined. All right? Congratulations. If you're going to, if you're going to milk that shit, if that's what you got, if you're going to whore yourself out, if you're going to try and make the whole world your emotional tampon because You've got nothing better to do. You bring nothing else to the fucking table. Your life is going to be miserable. Eventually, you're going to have a couple of good weeks here and there. And you're going to go, oh, I'm getting attention. And then people are going to look away. People are going to look the fuck away. Why? Because you bring nothing else to the table. You bring nothing interesting to the table. And that's really the, the worst thing a human being can be is uninteresting. And every one of these little motherfuckers is. Don't ever hire anybody who looks like they'd be a fucking lawsuit to fire. And that's exactly what all of these people are. That's exactly what all of these, you look at them and you go, well, there's a whole bunch of face piercings and neck tattoos and shit. All right. I'm not going to get anywhere fucking near them. No way in hell. They are not welcome here.
God help us all. And these people, you know, will be senior citizens when these fuckers get control. I hope to God that they wake the fuck up before then or we are screwed. We're never going to be able to retire because we can't give the country to these assholes. Oh, by the way, about uh, as the shifting gears a little bit to these fuck nuggets who are out there, going, we're sanctuary city, we're sanctuary city, and then they fucking say, all right, well, good, here's a whole bunch of illegal aliens. Whoa, whoa, wait a second there, partner. We don't want, we don't want anymore. We can't handle anymore. Uncle, uncle. They're crying uncle. You ask them, hey, what the fuck is an uncle? What the fuck is it? What's a, what's a man? What's a woman? And then they'll just shut the fuck up. As New York is sitting there talking about, I'll play the audio again, but there's, I played it on yesterday's show, of Eric Adams going, holy fuck, New York's going to collapse. New York's going to go to hell in a handbasket. We suck. We can't handle this. They're also moving in the state of New York. This from the New York Post as well. New York lawmaker wants to bar counties from blocking migrants to ease burden on New York City. You gotta fucking love this. A Queens lawmaker has introduced legislation to spread the burden of dealing with the migrant crisis across New York State as the Big Apple continues to struggle to handle the influx of asylum seekers. They're just fucking illegal aliens. I can't even stand to watch Fox anymore. As these fuckers are going, the migrant crisis, the migrant this and the migrant that, and the mi they're fucking illegal aliens, okay? Migrants migrate. These assholes ain't going anywhere. Till they're thrown the fuck out. They need to be mass deported. But the migrant this and the migrant... Oh, they're just asylum seekers. They're bullshit con artists coached by left-wing assholes who hate this fucking country at, to the magic words to say in conjunction with the Democratic Party to say, the, oh, I fear for my life. Oh, all right, well, then please come on in. Fuck you. Tough shit. Hey, here's an idea. Get all of you back in your own fucking country and try and make it a little bit a better place, huh? Or if you really do genuinely fear for your life, which I don't believe for a fucking second you do, you are legally obligated when seeking asylum to seek it in the first safe country you come to. That is not the United States. Many of you have traveled all the way from the other side of the fucking planet to come here. Get the fuck out. I think you launch a couple of people into the Gulf of Mexico on an industrial-sized trebuchet and people will begin to get the fucking point. Anyway, they're trying to make sure... See, New York City, sanctuary city. New York State, sanctuary state. But there are areas in New York, believe it or not, they're just overruled by the fucking Democrat clusterfuck that is New York City. There are people who there who believe in the Constitution and don't want to be overrun by illegal aliens. They like to uh, they like laws and want them fucking followed. Well, they're passing resolutions and laws saying, "Don't ship us these motherfuckers. You're the one who played Red Rover, asshole. You got them sent over. You deal with them." And they want to block that shit in Albany. One of the bills uh, put forward by Assemblywoman Jennifer Ray Rock. Raj Kumar, Raj Kumar, R-A-J-K-U-M-A-R. In Albany Thursday, local governments will be barred from blocking asylum seekers from being housed in their counties through emergency orders. Yes, that's right. Fuck Americans. That's the Democrats' message. I don't know how they're going to try and sell it next year. They're going to come up with a little bit uh, better, more artful way than saying fuck Americans. But that's essentially it. When you've got Democrats in New York State who are seeing their fucking school gymnasiums be turned into 
refugee centers for able-bodied young assholes who lied and broke into this fucking country. They're getting a little pissed off. Why? Because they understand that some of these third world countries, and they're coming from all around the world, but from third world countries up through Mexico, a lot of these third world countries look at our culture as much as you can say we have a culture that Democrats have an absolutely shit on and think, well, that's terrible. I don't care for the you can't have sex with kids thing because where I come from, you can have sex with kids. And, you know, women are just cum dumpsters. So if they say no, that's more of a challenge than anything else. That just means you got to hold them down a little bit harder. There are a lot of fucking evil places in this world where that shit rings true. And a lot of people from those countries are coming across our southern border. The hell, the Obama administration, the Biden administration fucking brought a bunch of them in from Afghanistan. Remember the Kabul evacuation, the retreat? Just get everybody on a fucking plane and we'll say we've evacuated. We have evacuated 150,000 people. Did any of them prove who they were? Did you look at any of them for a criminal record? No, we didn't. We didn't do that at all. Any of them fucking rape kids? Because that's big over there. Ah, you know, you can't judge a culture. I think when it comes to raping fucking kids and raping women and just rape in general, I'm pretty sure you can can do that. You can take your politically correct shit and shove it up your ass sideways if you're going to say, well, you can't. Who are you to judge sex with a seven-year-old boy? (laughs) I'm an American, so you can go fuck yourself. Yeah, right? You want to do that, uh, you should be ventilated. Your head should be ventilated. That's what should happen to you. So, yeah, there are a lot of people. It was all well and good when the well-to-do liberal suburbanites were out there going, oh, we need to let these people in. We need, it would just be wrong if we didn't let these people in. It would be wrong. These people are just seeking better lives for their children. And now a year into this, six months into this, and people aren't doing shit and crime is up. I thought that these motherfuckers were like better than us and committed less crime or whatever. But now suddenly you realize that there's dudes with MS-13 tattoos all over every square inch of their body and tears on their fucking eyes, the tattoos. And you know what that means. And, and they're sleeping in the gymnasium at your kid's school. And you're like, I'm not a big fan of this. Well, welcome to the fucking party, pal. You called everybody who said this could happen and would happen a racist piece of shit. So fucking deal with it. Suck it up, buttercup. You expect me to give a shit, it ain't going to fucking happen. The state lawmaker, who is an ally of Mayor Eric Adams, also proposed creating a statewide coordinator for migrants to oversee the intake and care of the asylum seekers once they reach the state. If you've been to Manhattan, if you've been to New York recently, there's a fucking shit ton of homeless people, Americans, alleged veterans. Many of them probably are veterans. There is no such concern for these people. No, they don't give a flying fuck about the veterans, the homeless veterans, the homeless Americans, nothing. There's a goddamn statue in technically in New Jersey's water that says uh, there's a poem on the bottom says, send us everybody and we'll take them in. And apparently implicit in that is, but fuck everybody who's here already. They can pay for it. 
Quote, it's time for New York State to lead a statewide response as New York City faces one of the greatest humanitarian crises in our history, Yakumar said. The state must enlist all its counties to help New York City shelter migrants because the strength of our entire state depends on New York City continuing to be a strong economic engine. Hey, here's an idea, sugar tits. Why don't you go fuck yourself? What if, how many, let me put it to you this way, Democrats up there in New York. How many motherfuckers come across the southern border going, God, I hope one day to live in Poughkeepsie. Really can't wait to get to Buffalo because I have not yet fully frozen my balls off. I want to live in upstate New York in some random fucking town. Nobody, no, people want to come to New York. Why? Because there are enclaves in New York where they will be able to continue to speak their language because you forget these fucking people coming across the southern border are not asylum seekers. They're opportunists. Many of them are bad, bad, bad fucking people. And they they want to live and blend into a place where they're not going to stick out like a sore thumb, where they can plot whatever they want to plot, where they can do whatever they want to do. A lot of them are involved in cartels. They want to oversee the human smuggling that they do. They want to be the end person there. There's money in it that's become such big fucking business that you have. A, they need a lot of people to come here. And you just say, oh, I, I, I'm scared for my life. And like, oh, all right. Well, there you go. Welcome, Yaka. They want to blend in. They live in places like little Tehran and little Kabul and little Mexico City and little Ecuador and whatever the fuck it is. And they run the show. There's also the they want to be around people and the culture they're familiar with, which makes you wonder, why the fuck did you, if your culture's so goddamn great, why'd you fucking flee it? Huh? I wouldn't walk 2,000 miles to get away from something I thought was just the best. Oh, man, I love this. This is my favorite restaurant. I'm going to start walking that way and never, ever come back here again. I don't want to be anywhere near this fucking place. I love it that much. Huh. That's what people want. They want to go to New York. And these Democrats are going to start shipping them all over the fucking place. And you watch. They're going to do what they did during the Obama administration. Remember the Obama administration was secretly shipping illegal aliens to red states? to red states against the wishes of the government against the wishes of the local government against the wishes of the people they're like what the fuck you wanted these people here you take them no they shipped them they didn't give a shit oh it got some publicity but they never stopped doing it because they didn't give a fuck democrats have a plan put these people in places where eventually when they are granted the right to vote by democrats and some dumb shit republicans they will be able to turn things they will be able to be the difference maker. Imagine just one day, five election cycles down the road, there's suddenly eight million new fucking voters. And they're already planted in areas where they will be able to flip the, 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 the state, the district, the county, the whatever. That's what they're fucking doing. So they're going to ship them. Then they want to move them to New York. New York lost a fuck ton of people during COVID because they were so shitty. So they want to move these people. There are red areas in New York. They want to ship them off there. And they want to make sure, these Democrats want to make sure that the red areas in New York can't say, hey, we don't want these fucking MS-13 cocksuckers here. Nope. You're going to get it. Now, what's funny is the Democrats have opened up the floodgates to so many people that are not good people. 
They have no fucking interest in being moved to someplace that isn't New York City. So you can put them on a bus and they probably, all the bitching and moaning, remember, we're in DeSantis sent people to Martha's Vineyard and we don't know if they wanted to go there. It's the worst thing ever, a violation of their rights. Well, take somebody in New York City and ship them off to fucking Buffalo or Cooperstown or someplace else, someplace north and not New York City and see, no, I don't want to fucking go there. Go to hell. No, no, no. This is where we're going to put you up. We have housing up there. I don't give a fuck. I'll find a, I'm going to stay in New York. No, no, no. You got to go and ship them off. Progressives love putting people on public transportation and moving them out of town to other places for housing temporary as it often is with them. That's how they fucking roll. They're going to be doing exactly what they were saying. Well, what about the Republicans? They're saying we don't know if these people wanted to come here. Uh, a whole fuck ton of them are coming there on their own. They sure seem to want to stay. And you're trying to get the fuck rid of them. Why? Because they're an economic drag on the city. A massive economic fucking drag on the city. And you guys promised us that they were the key to economic prosperity. They were better than us Americans. You can't get rid of them fast enough, can you, you lying, hypocritical pieces of shit? Choke on it. Choke on it all. Anyway, since we're becoming a nation of pussies, I thought I'd bring a little bit of balls to the program this week. So that's all the time we have, because my balls are hanging low. It's hot. Have yourself a wonderful fucking weekend. I appreciate you listening. I'll be back here on Monday. Have a great one. Thank you. Thank you.